amen. Isaiah chapter 55, let's begin at verse 6 and I'll read down to verse 13. I'm in the King James Version. You follow along with other version you have and uh, we'll get there. Chapter 55, verse 6 says this, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Somebody ought to shout right there for being pardoned, right? Then it says here, God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways or neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it to bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing where I sent it. For ye shall go out with joy, and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. I'm going to preach for just a few moments from the title, God's Ways. God's Ways. A son of a, a preacher my entire life and a son of a pastor since I was about six years old, seven years old. I've had the pleasure of, of sitting under some of the best preaching I've ever heard in my life. I've ever heard in my life. My father, uh, the, the greatest preacher I've ever heard is my dad. And there he is right over there in the wheelchair. Amen. Praise God for him. Look at him. You see the body? He look like me now, right? At the body. Well, I look like him. But, but being the son of a, a pastor and, and having what I would call Dutch uncles as pastors and preachers, I was around some great preaching. And, and I have the pleasure of, you know, which I want to do to my son or my spiritual son. My dad has given me over 3,000 sermons. So as a preacher... They're his sermons, too. They're nobody else's. They're his. I read them. Somebody say remix. And so this God's Way sermon, I got to give credit where credit is due. I was able to bring it up to speed and to apply this today, but my dad first preached this sermon back in 1988. Back in 1988. But I'm going to show you how God's word still rings true today because there is something about, see, I'll say it with me, God's ways. God's ways. I want you to see this. I want you to see this in Isaiah chapter 55. The prophet Isaiah, let me give you some background, lived more than 2,700 years ago, and he had a ministry that extended through the reign of some four kings of Judah. And there is mention of these kings, mention of where, where he was in history in the first, uh, uh, the, the, the first chapter in the verses of, of Isaiah. It says, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amoz, 
which he saw concerning Judah, Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Just trying to give you a place of where Isaiah was in history, a place in time in history. And for some 60 years, this Isaiah, this, this Isaiah, 60 years. I've only been preaching to y'all for 13 years. I've been preaching for 26 years. But for 60 years, Isaiah preached and had influence, and it was deeply felt. And, 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 and he left an indelible print upon the sands of time. No other prophet described the glory and the majesty of God with such eloquence as did the prophet Isaiah. And our text, chapter 55, verse 8 and 9, it provides a splendid proof of this fact. The Lord spoke uh, through the seer, which was the prophet Isaiah, and, and the love of God is shown, and the hope of God, the message of God, the message of God, the message of Jesus Christ is not a message of judgment, but a message of hope. Somebody say hope. And this message of hope is preached through the prophet Isaiah, and we see that the love of God shines forth as he told backslidden Hebrews at the time, Israelites, who are, when I say backslidden, this country was outside the will of God. He's talking to some of us who are God's children, but we're outside of the will of God, he, and, and Isaiah is telling us to straighten up. He says to them, and he says to us, seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way or her way and the unrighteous person their thoughts and let them return unto the Lord and the Lord will have mercy upon them and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Aren't you glad that we serve a gracious God that has no problem abundantly pardoning our mess? How many of you are messy as your pastor is sometimes? Only a few of y'all? Okay. Then my messy people, can we just give God a praise for pardoning us sometimes? I'm messy sometimes, man. What a message of hope. And at the same time, what a message of challenge to our age and to this age who does not believe God. To an age that, 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 would, that would use God's name in vain. You might say, well, Pastor, people believe God. You can tell what you believe in by how you live your life. Yeah. Let me say that again because you look at me like I'm crazy. You only, believe the, in, you only sit in those chairs because you believe in them. Right? So some of you might claim to believe in God, but your life might reflect that you don't. And so I'm preaching to an age where, uh, and in an age where people don't believe in God, people only believe in Christ, to an age where people would take God's name in vain. And what a challenge to that age, what a, what a challenge to an age that, that would blaspheme and, and, and curse God, what a challenge to such an age. Let me explain to you what, what taking God's name in vain is today. Because we might say that, but we don't really understand what taking God's name is vain. And Lord, let me explain to you. Taking God's name in vain has to do with using God's name in a way, write it down, that's not consistent with his substance or his person or his character. Y'all missed that. Taking God's name is using God's name that in a way that is not consistent with his character, not consistent with his person, not consistent with who he is, not consistent with the substance of God. In short, to take God's name in vain is to strip away the value that belongs to God and God's name because it's connected to God. Taking God's name in vain is still wrong. 
it still, watch this, offends God. When you take God's name in vain, when you, you know, we'll, we'll say a curse word with his name in front of it in a heartbeat. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I know y'all cuss or used to. Some of y'all still do. Amen. You got, Lord, forgive me for saying it. But that's taking or, or, or saying, watch this, taking God's name in vain, not only cussing, but it's also saying something, God will forgive me anyhow. Um, taking the weight out of, out of, of what we do. Um, uh, God knows my heart. Um, uh, uh, taking scripture out of context. God is, God is, it, it, you, you expect God when you, you, taking God's name is vain is expecting God to be inconsistent with his character. I'm going to live like I want to live, but God going to bless me anyhow. That's taking God's name in vain because that's not consistent with his character. You feel me? Do y'all feel me? You take God's name in vain when you expect God to do something to show up to bless you in a way that's not consistent with his character. So that's taking God's name in vain, but I got to go on, right? So, but the beauty of this scripture, I just want y'all to, to get that because I don't want y'all to take God's name in vain no more, right? The beauty of this scripture is that it never grows old. Isaiah 55, man, and even the Bible, it just never grows old, right, for me anyway. And these words are directed to us today, and I believe this text humbles, right? This text that I read, think about it. It humbles the proud man. It puts the proud man or woman in their place. It lets them know that your ways and your thoughts are not the ways of God, are not the thoughts of God. I don't care how many philosophers you read. I don't care. I don't care if you got a business degree from Wharton. I don't care if you got a doctorate degree. I don't care if you got a PA. I don't care what you got. God says your thoughts are not mine. My ways are higher than your ways. I don't care how smart you are. You and I don't think alike. Y'all to give God some praise so it humbles. It humbles us and lets us know that God's name is think about half the stuff we're thinking about. And here is the text. This text ignores the atheists. You got to understand that in the Bible, the Bible never bothers to attempt to prove that God exists. It just says that here he is and you either accept him or you don't. God exists. That's the bottom line. Here are two undeniable factors. God exists and you're going to die. That's it. God exists. That, that you cannot, there's no arguing. You can't, you, can't, you can't debate that. God exists and you're going to die. And God says, I don't have to prove to you that I exist. I am that I am and you're going to see me face to face one day whether you like it or not. God says, I exist and you're going to die. Undeniable factors. Under, I don't, I, I, under, there are two things I know. So the Bible never bothers to prove that God exists. He, here he is, accept him or not. And in the context here of this text, it even answers the agnostic. Because even, even though his ways and thoughts are above our ways and thoughts, his regard, what, it, it, it doesn't really, he doesn't really regard to, or say, I have to make myself known. The, the men have claimed that they cannot know or, or they cannot, they, can, they don't know if God exists. That They're called agnostics. And God says that I don't have to prove to you that I exist. I exist whether you like it or not. He makes himself known to the agnostic right here in the text. 
to the wise men and to intellectuals are made angry by this text. Know-it-alls don't like this text because we think we know everything. And the text says that your ways and your thoughts are not the same as God's. So we don't like that. Evolutionists, they're confused by these words, and they feel they are presumptuous, uh, presumptuous and they're cautioned by the text. The, 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 the occults who dabble in horoscopes and astrology and fortune-telling, uh, 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 they, 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 they want to leap a gap that is too broad. The gap between heaven and earth is too broad to be breached by your horoscope, to be breached by evil spirits and demons. And the unwary are also enlightened by the text, lest they fall prey to those who claim to have God in their hip pocket now. You know, we got God right here, right? Computerized, ready to jump on when you push the button. God says, I don't think like you and you don't think like me. You can read your horoscope all you want. I talked about it at 830. The stars are lining up. Joe, you know those people, send me good vibes. Don't you send me no good vibes. Pray for me. I don't want your vibes. I want your prayer. Your vibes do not cross the bridge between us and God. Uh-oh, watch this, watch this, Ryan, Ryan. Your little crystals that you hang from your car don't provide the energy that cross from me to God. He says, your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Your horoscopes, your crystals, your philosophers, he said, save all of that. Pastor, I believe that this is my season because the stars are lined up on my behalf. Go to fortune tellers. They ain't reading your palm. They taking money out your palm. Because ain't nothing, nothing they can tell you that is going to bridge between God and us. That only bridge between God and us, his name is Jesus the Christ. And if you don't know him, So God says, oh, that stuff is foolishness. You ain't, there's not a human way that is my way. There is not a human thought that is my thought, right? And so can we take a minute, can we just take a minute just to see how God's thoughts and ways are higher than our thoughts? Let me just show you how. Can we do that? First of all, it's because he's omniscient. That means he knows all things. And that's not so with mankind. We are ignorant. We are ignorant. Say it again. Mankind is ignorant. If you took all the knowledge and rolled it all together, everything we've ever spoken, everything we ever dreamed of, everything we've ever seen, everything we've ever experienced, everything we've ever done. By the way, we ain't never been to the moon. Let me say that. Everything we've ever done, everything we intended to do, everything that we created, everything that we discovered, if you picked the heart and mind of the smartest individuals on the planet and throw it all together, it would amount to but a grain of sand on the seashore of the earth as compared to what God knows. His thoughts are above our thoughts and our ways. Secondly, by sheer force of numbers, his thoughts are higher and his ways are incomprehensible. The psalmist says in Psalm 139, verses 17 and 18, read it for yourself. He says, how precious are, are, are the thoughts, are, are your thoughts unto me, O God. How great are the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more than the number of the sand. By sheer volume, his thoughts are higher. Third, his ways and thoughts are higher than our ways and thoughts because he he is the creator and we are the creatures. Let me say it again. Because some of you think that you can create 
No, we are the creatures. He is the creator. He made us and not we ourselves, right? And some of us say that we are self-made, and to that I say, what a mess you have made. I'm self-made. Yeah, look at the mess you made. We are not we are, we are, he is the, we, we, are, we are not the creators of ourselves. He is the creator. He is, he is the creator. And, and then there's those who seek to bring God down to their level. And the creature seeks to create the creator. They have made God and goddesses with their own hands and have elevated other human beings to the status of a deity, thereby being defeated what Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 22, Paul says, you're defeated by your own profession of wisdom in that you became a fool. Anytime you create a deity out of something that's not God himself, you're a fool. Anytime you put somebody up on a pedestal and worship a man or a woman who's nothing but a creature, you're a fool. You're the fool yourself. You see, and, 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 I, and I say that because we don't have idols in, in, the, in the form of a graven image anymore, right? Like, we don't have Baal. We don't have um, those other idols they talk about in the Bible. We have idols called success. Pursue success. We have idols called purpose. I just want to pursue my purpose. We have idols called, you know, Christians disguise their idol. They call it a breakthrough. I'm just with my breakthrough. I'm just pursuing my purpose. I'm just pursuing. We have, we have idols called recreation. Am I, am I, am I in your kitchen yet? We have idols called status. And here's the number one idol you and I all have. It's called self. Every time you look in the mirror, hey. Every time you take a selfie, right? The women do the, do the, do the duck lip. I refuse to do that. But the guys, you know, we, I ain't talking about nobody. I'm just talking. We do our, I ain't talking about I'm just talking. <laughs> But we made, I was messing with my son, but, but we, we made idols of ourselves. And God says, no, you're not a deity. I am. You don't have all the answers. I do. You don't know the way. I am the way. Give God some praise. <laughs> fourthly, fourthly. He says our thoughts are higher than our ways and our thoughts are, are, you know, his thoughts are higher than ours because he's holy and we're sinful. Somebody say he's holy and we're sinful. If you should ever revisit the account of early man in Genesis, some of y'all may not know how sinful you are, but if you ever read Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, it's written that every imagination of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. That's Genesis chapter 6 around verse 5, right? And that's what God said about early mankind in Genesis. And the psalmist says again, he says, as for the wicked, God is not in that at all. God is, as for the wicked, God is not at all in his thoughts. We have have wicked thoughts. God is not in those thoughts. Even the prophet Isaiah said again in chapter 59 verse 78 that their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are the thoughts of iniquity. They've made for themselves crooked paths. Micah, the prophet said in the book of Micah, they know not the thoughts of the Lord, neither understand they his counsel. 
right? Because he is omniscient, because his thoughts are too numerous for us to count, because he has created us, because he is holy. We are sinful. He understands. And this is why it's said in the text that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We agree then, Cornerstone, that his way is not our way. His way is high and his way is low, and our way is low. We agree that. We agree that his thoughts are eternal and our thoughts are fleeting. We can agree on that. We agree that he is holy and we are evil. We can agree on that. He is righteous. We are unrighteous. His path is narrow and, and, and straight. Our pathway is broad and crooked. His purpose is right. Our purpose is wrong. His way is joy. Our is sorrow. His way is peace. Ours is war. His way is knowledge and ours is always ignorant. His power, we can agree that is high and our way is low. We can agree that his thoughts are eternal and our thoughts are fleeting. We can agree on those thoughts. We can agree that, that his thoughts do not shackle. His thoughts liberate. He is faithful. We are fickle. We can agree on that. His way is light and not darkness. His way is deliverance and not defeat. His way is life and our, our way is death. We can agree on that. Can agree on that. But I know some of you might be asking me, so what, Pastor Graves? So what? So what? How that going to help me today? I'm in church hurting. So what? I'm in church longing for some stuff. So what? That's the question. So what? What's the significance of this verse? Why did you preach that this week? Out of the thousand sermons your dad could have gave you, you picked that one? Why did you pick that one? Why the Holy Spirit leads you to this particular text? Uh, what's the significance of this verse? And I mean, practically speaking, so what if, what, what if God's ways are so high and and, and his ways and, and his thoughts are so much higher than us. What, revel, uh, what, what, what relevance does it have with me today? For one thing, let me say this. Whatever our needs are, the fact that God is love, the fact that his message is hope, the fact that God is, in, is merciful, God sought out to bridge the gap to even let us know that his thoughts are not our thoughts and our ways are not his ways. God loved us so enough to even bridge the gap and even tell us that. We, you know, we would have to, if, if, if God didn't do that, you know what you and I would have had to do? We would have to try to find God in places that we can't find him. You, you, you might be able to identify his work, but we can't find God in all the work that he does. We can identify that he was there. You could, you could never find him by simply searching and worshiping nature. That's not going to help you. Looking for him in nature could never satisfy your heart's longing to really find God. Oh, yes, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord and the firmament shows his handiwork. But you can go view the Grand Canyon if you please. You can bring up the mysteries of the dark depths of the Pacific Ocean if you desire. You can set aside or step aside or, or look, walk through the giant sequoia trees in Washington and Oregon, California. You can do what you want to do. You can look through space and electronic microscope if you desire. They are, they are his works. You can hear the mighty roar of Niagara Falls in New York. You can see the fantastic double rainbow of Victoria Falls in Rhodesia. You can soar on the high wings of a giant condor over the Andes or climb Mount Everest if you please. And the only thing you would see was the splendor of God. But you won't find God himself. 
You'll see the splendor of God. You're not going to see his face there. You're not going to see his grace. You have to understand that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Some religious people talk about introspection. You see, we have some folks, like I said, that believe in meditation. They believe you can stand on your head, stand on your hands, do all kinds of stuff, and looking within yourself to find inner peace. Let me tell you something. The face of God is not within yourself. I don't care how many times you say namaste. I don't care how many times you, I don't care. You're just getting a good stretch in. That's all you're doing. But I don't care how many times you meditate. They put meditation in school, right? We're seeking inner peace. You ain't got no peace on the inside. There's a peace that passes all understanding, and his name is Jesus Christ. <laughs> Foolishness, man. Foolishness, woman, foolishness. You know why I know it's foolishness? Because it's man-made, and God said, my ways ain't your ways. My thoughts, <laughs> my, my thoughts, your thoughts? Are you kidding me? My thoughts are high so far above your thoughts, you don't, you don't really get it. So you can do all that stuff if you want to. You can do introspection. You can, do, you can believe in meditation. You can stand on your head. You can do all that stuff. But the text says that my thoughts ain't your thoughts. My ways ain't your ways. Let me ask you this, right? Listen, listen, listen. If you're looking for God within yourself, you're in trouble because you're a natural-born sinner. See that? They don't like that. They don't like that. They don't like that, Bill. I'm a natural-born sinner. So when I look inside myself, I find no good thing. But when I look to Christ, the author and finisher of my faith, God can take this no good thing and make it into something for his glory and his honor and his purpose. I done mess with some of y'all beliefs right now. How you, how you come to church with crystals hanging from your car? That's because you ain't never been taught. How, how, you, how, you, how you read your Bible and then hurry up and turn to your horoscope? You ain't never been taught nothing. How you, how, how you, how you pray and then you get up and pray and, and, and you want to do some self and you want to you dabble in hypnotism and, and looking within? No, James says that's double-minded. And if you're double-minded, don't expect nothing of God. That's what James says. I know you don't like this preaching, but I'm going to preach it anyhow. Got to preach it anyhow. God says, my ways ain't your ways, right? See, if, if, you, look, if you look for the truth of man, you're going to discover you've been lied to. If you look for, if you, if you look for honesty, you ain't going to find none in man. If you search for some honesty and some stuff in your own heart, you know what you're going to find in your own heart? Hypocrisy. How many of you know that you're a hypocrite? I know I'm a hypocrite. Huh? I know I have had hypocritical moments in my life. Hypocrite. I, in other words, I put on one face, but I'm going through something else on the inside. That's being a hypocrite, right? You look in your own heart, you look in man's own heart, you're going to find all the evil thoughts. You're going to find adultery, fornication, murder, sex, covetousness. You're going to, you're going to find this, all kinds of deceit. You're going to find deviousness. You're going to find evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All of these things come from within, and they are, and they are, are, are inside of us as humans. And if we're not careful, then all that rubbish comes out. And so you have to ask yourself, what do I see when I look on the inside? Somebody ought to see, ought to say, I have been blood bought by the blood of Jesus Christ and yes I'm a sinner but I am being sanctified daily here's the point of this whole sermon and I was able to I was able to bring this up to be able to get to it 
The point is that God must reveal himself to you. That's the point. That's the point. You can look for him all you want, but God must reveal himself. He must reveal his mind to us if we ever going to know it. And, and I hear the Apostle Paul saying, all the depth and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways are past finding out. So you and I have to reach the point in life where we see the absolute necessity of God taking it on himself to reveal his mind and his thoughts to us. Lord, what is your mind? What is your thought toward this? And here's the thing, nine times out of ten, you'll, you'll know God's thoughts and hearts and minds if you just read the Bible. If you line up every decision you're going to make with the Word of God. Sometimes I think we forget, watch this, that he had to take the initiative. I think we forget that God had to take the initiative to come after me and you. After all, you know, we, we, can't, we, can't, we can't read the mere minds of, of one another, right? We, we can't read the mind of God. We can't accept that what God is saying unless he reveals it to us. He has to reveal us his ways and his thoughts. We could never know them otherwise. So God shows us his ways. So I'm so glad, Cornerstone, that God has condescended down to me and to you to reveal his ways. But like the, like, like the text says, uh, we are like dumb sheep and we have gone astray, each one our own way. We, we, we go astray, we walk after a way that is after our own thoughts. The wise men say that philosophy is the way. Politicians say that legislation is the way. Communists say that revolution is the way. Uh, uh, economists will tell you that money is the way. An apostolic will tell you that baptism is the way. A charismatic will tell you that speaking in tongues is the way. Black Muslims will tell you that hatred is the way. Uh, uh, all, kinds of, all kinds of gay folks will tell you that being gay is the way, but an alcoholic will tell you that the drink is the way. The labor union will advocate that strike is the way. The partying in nightclub from Hollywood teaches us that escapism is the way. Then the devil categorically states to all of us, there is no way. That's what the devil says. But I thank God that Jesus Christ in his love stepped out of eternity and into time and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, no woman comes to the Father but by me. I'm so glad that I serve a God that revealed that he is the way. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, is a revelation of the mind of God. Follow me, Cornerstone. And when you see Jesus, you see God. And when you know Jesus, you know God. When you love Jesus, you love God. Cornerstone. If God did not love us, he wouldn't have told us nothing with an F. Nothing. He wouldn't have told us nothing if he didn't love us. There would be no poet to write religious poems if he didn't love us. If he didn't love us, there would be no composers to write hymns. There would be no singers that sing his songs. Think of all of that. If he didn't love us, you wouldn't receive a vision. He didn't love us, you wouldn't have a dream. If he didn't love us, there would have been no prophets raised up by God to announce and exhort people of God to come back to him. If God did not love us, he wouldn't have called forth any preachers. If God did not love us, he would not have put his hands on me. He would have not put his hands on you to declare all his mighty works. He loves us. 
He loves us. If he didn't love us, I wouldn't be here today. If he didn't love us, we would not be moved by, by the folks who wrote the Bible. If he, if he didn't love us, we would, we would know that he sent his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you and I. He did all of this. And I'm saying that this is the revelation of his mind, of his thoughts, of his purposes, his desires. His ways, his revelation is the act of love on his part. And you and I are children of God. And as children of God, we ought to respond to that revelation. We ought to say that we are the saints of God. We love God. He revealed himself to us. And we should let the world know what's on the heart and mind of God himself. I don't know. I don't know if you get much joy out of it. But I get great joy in knowing more about Jesus. I don't know how much joy you get out of it. I, 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 get, I get joy in knowing his ways and his thoughts are far above my ways and my thoughts. He did this for you and he did this for me. And if that, that revelation is an act of love. You see, you have to understand that we serve a God that sits high and looks low. And he shares his thoughts with the children of men in love. He dwells on high, but watch this. He has humbled himself to behold, uh, to, 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 he, be, he humbled himself and came down from heaven and, and, and became one of us. And, and, and I looked up the word humble, cornerstone. And in the Hebrew, it's a verb that's used to mean to cut down a tree in the forest. God cut himself down so that he might reveal his mind and his thoughts to you and us. We have a term today we call dummy it down. God dummied it down so you and I could understand it. In love, same God thought of not robbery to, not robbery to bridge the gap between heaven and earth. He made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a slave, and was made in the likeness of men, being found in fashion as a man. Some of y'all know exactly what text I'm reading. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. Calvary was in the mind of God from the foundation of the world. I have read that Jesus Christ was slain from the foundation of the world. Calvary was God's way of rescuing mankind. Perhaps if it was up to you or me, up to men or women, we would try to work our way into heaven to get salvation. But God's way is by grace. It's by grace. It's by amazing grace. A saving grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of works. See, from our viewpoint, it surely looked hopeless on Calvary. From our viewpoint, uh, uh, Galgotha looked helpless. From our viewpoint, you have to understand it didn't look like the way to go. But I'm here to tell somebody that Calvary was God's way. Wicked men were there, but that's God's way. Unscrupulous politicians, yes, Pilate was there, but that's God's way. The Roman soldiers, callous Roman soldiers were there, but that was God's way. Satanic influence was there. Ungodly religious leaders were there. The traitor was there. Injustice was there. Hatred was there. Envy was there, but it was God's way. 
Spikes were driven into his hands and to his feet, but that's God's way. That his thoughts are high above our thoughts and his ways are high above our ways. So what appeared to be helpless and hopeless was actually in the mind of God and it was God's way. You see, as usual, God accomplished what he set out to do. And after three days and nights, God's heavenly plan was given over to Jesus Christ. And Christ got up out the grave, and he announced to everybody around, to heaven and earth, that I have the power of the universe. I have the keys to heaven and earth. I have all power in my hand. You have to understand that God accomplished what he set out to do. God accomplishes it. So the command comes to us today, to you and me. Abandon your thoughts. Forsake your own ways. Stop trying to run your own life. Stop, stop trying to succeed and run your own life. Or what I should say, ruining your own life. You know why? Because the difference between run and ruin is the letter I. The difference between run and ruin is I. You try to run your life and that I gets in the way and you end up ruining your life. And God is saying to you and me to surrender. Stop trying to run it your way. Stop trying to think your thoughts. Stop trying to do it your way. Stop trying to cha make change do your way. Understand and get down with my program. Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit who live inside you will guide you in all of God's ways. The command comes to you and I to leave, to desert, to abandon my own values, to abandon my own attitude so that the Holy Spirit can live in me and the Holy Spirit can accomplish and the Holy Spirit can acquaint me with God's way of doing things. Let me, let me, let me talk about this. I'm going to wind this thing up. Let me talk about God's way. God's way, not your way, not my way, not the preacher's way, but God's way. For God alone can dig a tunnel through a mountain of despair. Some of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. God alone is able to turn on the lights in your darkest hour. Only God can do that. God alone is able to provide water and dryness of a spiritual drought. Only God can do that. Only God is able to give us bread in the time of famine. Only God can do that. Only God is able to heal your sickness. Only God can do that. Only God alone is able to rescue you from danger. Only God can do that. I know what I'm talking about today. I've had some experiences with the Lord. And if you just sit down and take it easy, if you just stop fighting, if you just stop scheming, if you just stop planning, if you just stop trying to do it your way, I tell you that God's way is the best way. You may not understand it, but it's the best way. And that's all I really came to say today is that God's way is the best way. I don't know what kind of issues you face. I don't know what kind of challenges you're going to have this week, but you ought to learn to do it God's way. Give God some praise, Cornerstone. I'm done. Give God some praise.